Hello and welcome to this webinar organized by the Middle East Institute National University of Singapore. My name is Asif Shuja and I will be the host today. We are organizing this webinar on the title Turkey's Middle East Ambitions and Regional Role. In total, we will actually be looking at uh, what exactly is making Turkey back into the spotlight. What are those issues which are coming back again associated with Turkey? And all those issues will be discussed by our panel, uh, which we have set up today for today's webinar, which includes Dr. Omer Aslan, who is an associate professor from Ankara Yeldirim Beyazid University in Turkey. Uh, the second panelist is Professor Shahram Akbar Zadeh, who is a convener of the Middle East Studies Forum, Alfred Daikin Institute, Daikin University, Australia. Our third panelist <clears throat> is Dr. Omer Anas, who is Assistant Professor Ankara Yildirim, Biazit University, uh, who also happened to be uh, my former colleague. And our fourth panelist is Mr. Guhan Areli, uh, who is actually uh, uh, representing uh, his own colleague, Dr. Ismail Numan, who is stuck because of some emergency. And uh, Mr. Gohan Areli is uh, the Gulf Studies Coordinator from Orsa, that is Center for Middle Eastern Studies, uh, Turkey. So uh, in this uh, webinar, we will have all the panelists speaking for about 10 minutes or so, after which we will have a question and answer session. And uh, uh, I will request the audience to please uh, uh, direct their question to the MEI event who would be directing them to me so that I would be able to ask those questions. So uh, without further ado, I would uh, hand over the floor to Dr. Omer Aslan uh, for his presentation. Thank you, Dr. Omer. Uh, Dr. Asafami, thank you very much. Um, thank you for the invite. Uh, I would like to give uh, my thanks to Middle East Institute for organizing this uh, webinar in the first place. And also I would like to thank my uh, co-participants uh, too. I, I'm sure it will be a very fruitful discussion. So let me uh, just state in the beginning that I think when we look at the past, we see of course two periods in which Turkey had ambitions for the Middle East and North Africa. And by ambitions, of course, I mean big ambitions to be a regional player um, in, uh, in, in the region. And the first, I think, period was, um, as many people may uh, remember, was the 1950s, in which uh, Turkey acted with its uh, Western allies and tried to shape the region in terms of this Cold War alliances, of course. Turkey was a member of the Baghdad Pact uh, and wanted to bring more members, more states from the region to that pact against communism. And then the second, of course, I'm not going to go into details of this because I think we would like to focus more on the regional uh, politics in, in recent times. And then the second period, I think, in which Turkey had ambitions uh, for the region was uh, in, well, the second part of 1980s and early 1990s, I think, in which uh, first prime minister and then uh, president uh, Turgut Özal uh, basically pioneered and spearhead this, this process of Turkey using economic interdependence, using its economic clout, or establishing economic clout first and then using that for the region and try to basically use that. Uh, but of course, again, in line with the Western allies. So Turkey did a lot of things again in this period, 
supported the US-led coalition in the first Gulf War. But of course, on some issues, Turkey also departed uh, from its Western allies, especially in terms of whether Syria was a threat to Turkey's security in that period. Uh, while the US administration at the time really saw Syria as a terrorism supporting state, uh, basically President Özal denied seeing Syria from that lens. Özal believed that we can actually bring uh, Syria under the Turkish influence by using our economic uh, cloud and so on. Of course, by ambitions, um, I mean, my understanding of ambitions is more like an active uh, policy. It's not like reacting to the events, because again, if you understand ambitions as a reaction to events, especially securitizing and so on, then the 1990s too may count as Turkey being ambitious. But uh, that's not my understanding really in that sense, having a proactive policy towards the region. When you look at ambitions from that perspective, of, of course, I think post-2002, when the AKP comes to power in Turkey, is the period that you may and we should, I think, focus on. And in the first period, of course, uh, Turkey, I mean, had a lot of advantages. First of all, it had the European Union anchor in the first place, and that uh, basically gave it a I mean, permanent anchor. And then it had the democratizing reforms in, at, at home in the domestic arena. It was acting to a large extent with the United States, of course, on bearing in mind there were certain difficulties and uh, divergences. But in the region, Turkey acted as this democratizing force again. So Turkey, after 9-11, given this global new climate, Turkey was very much forceful. But again, using not, uh, when I say forceful, not military force, not coercion, but more diplomacy, mediation, negotiations, and trying to push the region by using its, of course, soft power into a, 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 a course of change uh, gradually towards a more democratization path. Uh, but I think that... I mean, uh, pretty much, I mean, ended, of course, with the Arab revolts, because then uh, the, the Turkey, I mean, Turkey's alliance with the West uh, gradually, uh, basically, I mean, hit the rocks. I mean, it was a lot of difficulties in terms of bringing in the Western allies into this, you know, Arab revolts and this change. But Turkey at the same time really believed, and I think grew overwhelmingly confident that now the new period is basically um, so this, the, the, the kind of change that Turkey wished for the region really was coming true. So Turkey was now becoming this regional boss. Turkey believed basically it would be the eminent regional player in the region, while all of these authoritarian regimes were one by one almost falling. But of course, that uh, did not come true. With the Syrian revolt, with the, with the coup in Egypt, and then uh, the civil wars happening in Yemen and in Libya and then Syria. So all of that basically pushed Turkey, of course, with a lot of other developments, Turkey uh, realized that things are not really happening in the way that Turkey, what Turkey wanted. And then, of course, we are coming into gradually uh, a period in which Turkey, there's a shift from using diplomacy, mediation, uh, negotiations, Turkey's soft power, this model country that Turkey was, you know, democracy, capitalism, human rights, and uh, I mean, so that was a mix that Turkey was, was representing. But that came into gradually crashing too in terms of the changes in the domestic arena. So democratizing reforms basically came to a halt and then even reversed to a large degree. 
And Turkey started to use, uh, of course, I mean, feeling disappointment with its Western allies, Turkey started to use coercive powers, so using its military power more, incursions into, into Syria, doing this cross-border military operations, being militarily present in Libya, uh, and uh, being present, of course, in other conflicts, such as in Azerbaijan. So Turkey gradually grew militarily overconfident, but then at the same time, its soft power uh, did not really bring the intended uh, results in this, in this case. If I can share just one, uh, I think, data that uh, shows the economic aspect too. This is just something, uh, I mean, I did, uh, let me just share this very uh, quickly. Okay, let me, okay, this one. So this again shows us, I think the, I mean, this is something that I did just uh, uh, these very, I mean, recent uh, days uh, from 2013 to 2022. Of course, 22 is just four months, but you see the Turkish exports to the Middle East in the blue line. And then the orange one is Turkey's trade relations on exports to the, to the Gulf. So we see, of course, this is 2022. Uh, almost, I mean, a steady line despite the pandemic, but uh, there is no significant or substantial increase here, uh, basically in that in that case. Uh, so if you if you cannot see, maybe let me. Uh, no, uh, actually we couldn't see that screen. Uh, you couldn't. Let no, me no. Uh, let me try. Uh, you should have been uh, able to see it. But maybe just not to eat more my time, I can show it maybe later on when there's a Q&A uh, session. So otherwise, I mean, I will have very little time. So most recently, of course, uh, when we look at what Turkey has been doing, there is, I think, recalibration. And I think for a, for a few uh, reasons. One, obviously, is economic difficulties that Turkey has been experiencing, especially for the last few years. I think economic decline began earlier, but for the last few years, Turkey needs um, well, foreign currency and uh, Gulf investments can help in that regard. So there is, that's why in terms of Turkey's Middle East ambitions, Turkey is now, I think, leaving behind these coercive tactics and try to reconcile with especially the Gulf allies or Gulf partners or Gulf friends um, for, again, to basically address these economic difficulties because, again, from the West, these economic difficulties is, has not been, I mean, Turkey has not been able to solve these with its Western allies in the sense. And the, uh, the second reason that is, I think, interrelated with this is the, well, uh, the security aspect. And here, I think there's a continuity too. So uh, recently, President Erdogan has been talking about uh, how the Gulf security is Turkey security. So he equates uh, the Gulf security with the Turkish security. And that, of course, brings him uh, into how Turkey can help in terms of arms exports and not guaranteeing fully, but giving certain guarantees in terms of security to the Gulf uh, friends, UAE and Saudi Arabia. Uh, and I think he has in mind exporting Turkish defense industry output uh, these days again. And that could, of course, help in terms of foreign currency, these arms sales and so on. So he has that, I think, uh, in mind as well. But there is, of course, I mean, there are moral costs. Maybe just in one minute, if I can, uh, if I can recapitulate these in the QA session, maybe I can expand on these. 
There are, I think, moral costs in the sense that, first of all, I mean, Turkey has to sacrifice from what it represented, of course. I mean, in the 2000s, uh, what Turkey represented was this basically model in which, you know, democratizing country, a Muslim-majority country, capitalism, you know, individual rights and so on. But now today there's a shift from this. Uh, so this is, I think, the largest, I think, moral cost that Turkey has. The second one, obviously, Turkey has had to uh, abandon this, uh, you know, Khashoggi case uh, when it, 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 it wanted to reconcile with Saudi Arabia. So that, of course, is something that Turkey had to reconcile, I mean, uh, to, to surrender or to, to leave behind. The second, I think that will be a pressure too, in terms of if you, I mean, if Turkey wants to reconcile with, with Egypt, uh, the Egyptian exiles living in Turkey and their business, their media and so on, that will definitely come into the picture. So this will put a pressure. And then we should, of course, talk about the refugees too. And then remember in connection with the refugees, I mean, Syria still remains a problem. So that will continue to basically put pressure on the Turkish, uh, I mean, Turkey's new, more modest, let's say, role in the region and then the limits of course. So will the new, let's say, Turkey's role in the region, which I think will be an impartial, uh, a modest role to play in the region, will that of course spill over to certain areas? I mean, Turkey still militarily is present in Libya. Turkey is, I mean, is just going to do, I think, very recent, I mean, is coming days, a military operation into, into Syria. Um, so Turkey, I mean, had ambitions for the Horn of Africa. So, I mean, the spillover, I think, will have limits. So we will see how that also plays out. And finally, I will, I will finish with this. I think there will also be a populist limitation too, in terms of a populist government basically trying to, of course, always sell to the Turkish domestic consumption that Turkey is following an anti-imperialist or anti-Western. So these are, of course, interchangeably used in, in the Turkish government's lexicon. So, so that so Turk, the government will need a, a topic that it has to sell to the domestic public consumption. And that is, of course, that changes. That changes from the you know the the American this priest Brunson to now these days NATO Sweden Finland and their entry into NATO. So there will have to be one topic that the government will always say I'm standing upright. So I'm keeping Turkey's interest basically at heart. So that may we will see if that plays out in Turkey's ambitions for the Middle East and relations with the Middle East. With that, uh, I I mean thank you for the toleration. Uh, I have exceeded my limits a bit. Maybe I will revisit some of those issues in the Q&A session. But thank you, Dr. Asa. Sure. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Omer. It was very insightful background that you have laid out for all of us today. And, uh, you know, from our personal experience as an observer of the Middle East uh, region, we have seen that uh, Turkey finds itself uh, uh, wrong at the wrong places at the wrong time, you know, always. Whether it's Khashoggi issue of all the places, it was Turkey which became the ground zero, you know. Uh, yeah. These days we have been hearing about the ISIS leader being, uh, you know, arrested there, there in Turkey. I mean, it was Ottoman Empire, <laughs> the center of Islamic Empire. And now this ISIS leader has been there. Well, very recently, yes, just yesterday, the news came up that the tussle between Iran and Israel that is happening, it is becoming a ground zero for, for, for that, that also. And of course, as far as uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict is concerned, we know Turkey is playing a very major role 
Uh, we know that the new incumbent, incumbent of NATO in terms of that also Turkey is playing very important role. So uh, Turkey is very much in the news, uh, but we also hear that there's a slight confusion whether Turkey is uh, belonging to the West or Turkey is belonging to the East. This is what you have really emphasized very well for all of us to understand. So now with this, uh, with this baggage in, in, in our uh, back, uh, we go to our next speaker, uh, Professor Shehram Akbarzadeh, to enlighten us more on Turkey's uh, regional ambitions and regional role. Uh, Professor uh, Akbarzadeh, the floor is yours. Well, thank you very much for having me, uh, Dr. Shuja. It's an honor to be uh, participating on this panel. I'd like to also thank uh, the Middle East Institute uh, at Singapore University for organizing this important panel. Obviously, Turkey's role in the region is very much in the news and there are um, conflicting assessments of what Turkey is trying to achieve and why it's behaving like that. Uh, I think I'll probably pick up where our earlier um, panel member left. Uh, I'd like to highlight four areas that really influence um, thinking, uh, foreign policy thinking towards the Middle East in Turkey. The very first one that I think is important to um, take note of is that Turkey has a desire to be taken seriously by Europe and also in the region. As a modern state, uh, the and perhaps secular state, now the secularity aspect is being downplayed as we know by AKP, but it is a still an important aspect that Turkey is a modern democratic state. Secondly, is the Islamic heritage of Turkey and the role of religion in, the, in um, Turkish traditions. That all also plays a role in uh, foreign policy thinking at some points. Then we have security concerns. Um, there was a reference to what's been going on in Syria. That's a major, major security concern for Turkey. And security threats don't always emanate from states, they can also emanate from non-state actors. ISIS was a good example. And then economic factors, that's the fourth item on my list. Uh, economic factors play a big deal in the way Turkey um, thinks about the region and relates with the region, the Middle East region. So while all these factors don't come, um, to come um, don't always, come to play together at the same time uh, with equal force, they can come together uh, and push a certain direction on foreign policy thinking. Um, and that convergence of these factors together is uh, what really makes uh, foreign policy thinking forceful in Turkey. Um, if you go to the beginning of the current century, 21st century, the AKP government uh, was a lot more explicit about its commitment to secularism uh, and um, very concerned with security threats emanating from Syria. Uh, there were territorial disputes, uh, continues to exist, water dispute, and of course, Syria's support for the Kurdish uh, PKK, which is called a terrorist organization in Turkey. And you might say that these security concerns really helped Turkey consolidate its alliance with the US, emphasize its relationship with NATO, and um, also move towards normalizing relations with Israel. 
Of course, Israel has been a long-standing U.S. ally in the region, a uh, U.S. partner, and um, elevating Turkish relations with Israel uh, was expected to strengthen uh, Turkey's alliance um, on existing, you know, uh, membership in NATO and the United States. So, but diplomatic relations, we have to acknowledge, don't always um, follow a linear path. Um, you will recall that in 2008, uh, the Israeli war on Gaza ruptured really relations between Turkey and Israel. Um, the AKP leadership found it very difficult to um, ignore popular uh, angst and discontent uh, towards Israel and sympathy towards Palestine, the Palestinian cause. So in this episode, you might say that Turkey's uh, religious heritage played a more dominant role and uh, became a dominant factor in Turkey's um, attitude uh, towards Israel. And this led Turkey to pay a really high price um, for um, hardening its relationship towards Israel. Uh, the um, Gaza flotilla in 2010, um, we uh, witnessed the killing of nine, was it nine Turkish citizens uh, in the Mediterranean Sea uh, as they were bringing aid to uh, Gaza, the Gaza Strip against the uh, Israeli blockade. So um, this was a very high price to pay but it made a really big difference for Turkey's image uh, in the rest of the Middle East. Um, <clears throat> Turkey basically managed to achieve what many Arab states had failed to do, and that is putting Israel's atrocities towards Palestinians on the front page of international media. Um, and this, of course, naturally, brought Turkey respect and uh, praise at the grassroots level uh, throughout the Middle East. It was a major boost to Turkey's standing. Um, I'd also send a strong signal um, that Turkey is part of the region, um, part of the Middle East. So you might say that these stars were aligned for Turkey in this period, 2010, 2011, Soon after the Gaza flotilla incident, a wave of popular unrest, popular protest, uh, spread across the region, the Arab Spring, and um, with calls for democracy, calls for political representation, and calls for uh, a change, major political change. Of course, the Arab uprising was a leaderless movement um, as has been documented, but both Iran and Turkey tried to claim leadership in their own way. And it was very clear that Turkey had the advantage. Um, AKP uh, had come to power through a ballot box and it was widely respected uh, as representing a, a modern democratic model of Islam in politics. And that made it very attractive to Muslim Brotherhood. Um, which also gained prominence in Egypt, uh, if you recall, following the Arab Spring in Egypt. So AKP cultivated that image. Um, it's only natural that they cultivated that image of being a successful, moderate, democratic Islamic party. And this really reinforced the foreign policy thinking in Turkey that Turkey should be looking towards East, the turn East policy, because that's where Turkey could really claim um, um, receive the respect it deserves 
and claim leadership. But turning east uh, wasn't just about gaining greater role in the region as a regional power. It was also showing the United States that Turkey could pursue its own foreign policy making. It didn't have to abide by US rulebook. Um, turning east was also about economic prosperity. Um, Turkey welcomed foreign investment from GCC, from the Gulf cooperation countries. And um, mostly, of course, Saudi Arabia and UAE were investing in Turkey heavily. So uh, we already know that by um, early, um, by 2008 or so, Turkey was on the list of top 10 trading partners for UAE. So that's quite significant. But being part of a region has meant that Turkey was also embroiled in regional crisis. So in 2017, when Saudi Arabia, um, Bahrain, UAE, and, and Egypt placed a boycott on Qatar, the Turkish president uh, Erdogan um, was quite openly siding with Qatar. Turkey even sent food and troops to Qatar to protect it against a possible Saudi invasion, which is quite a bold move. And it's still, it does speak to the mentality uh, in the Turkish leadership that Turkey was a leader in the region and had responsibilities to uh, act like a leader. So that set of grandiose leadership was uh, still very much present in 2017. And um, the reason for, uh, another reason for Erdogan's choice of supporting uh, the Qatari um, government was that he felt a sense of affinity and um, loyalty even towards the Emir of Qatar because um, he had, the Emir of Qatar had personally called Erdogan uh, er, a year earlier following the attempted coup. So uh, you must say there was also a personal connection there that Erdogan was uh, committed to maintain. So Turkey's ambition in the Middle East, um, um, you know, ambitions in the Middle East is very much also manifest um, in its efforts to act as a peace broker. Um, Turkey tried to act as a peace broker in relation to Iran US tension when they were negotiating on nuclear deal and uh, Turkey came up uh, with an alternative with two other parties, uh, came up with an alternative way of managing uh, enriched uranium. Turkey tried to act as a peace broker in the Qatar Saudi Arabia dispute and boycott. So again, that goes with this, the peace broker role goes with that sense of feeling significant, feeling important, feeling that you are a natural leader in the region. Uh, so by the end uh, of the uh, Qatar boycott last year, um, although it wasn't really um, a result of Turkish mediation, it's certainly benefiting Turkey to have that um, dispute resolved because it can now pursue resumption of um, strong economic relations and ties with um, other GCC countries most importantly, Saudi Arabia, UAE. We heard about how uh, the Turkish government is trying to um, move beyond the Khashoggi murder uh, because that's a very significant stumbling block has been 
stumbling block in relations. But Turkey is trying to move past that because it sees the benefits of reestablishing economic ties. And that really speaks to the dire economic conditions in Turkey today. The high inflation rate, about 70% in May, uh, make it crucial, make it vital uh, for the Turkish government to attract foreign investment uh, into Turkish economy to prevent the economy from collapsing practically. Uh, and the political future of AKP rests on this economic performance, especially noting that um, there's election coming up next year. And the AKP's electoral campaigns have consistently pointed to uh, solid economic performance and putting bread on the table for Turkish families. So addressing the economic slowdown and the almost collapse of the economy is significant, is vital for AKP. So to a very large extent, this economic factor, I think explains Turkish desire to bolster links with wealthy GCC members. Um, and um, I think by way of conclusion, I'd like to say that while um, immediately following the Arab Spring, Turkey pursued the leadership role and saw itself as offering a model um, for other states to follow in the Middle East. So it came from a position of strength. It is now seeking greater involvement with the region most importantly with GCC for economic prosperity, to gain economic advantage and ensure the political survival of the ruling government. In other words, it's looking to the Middle East from a position of weakness. And I'll let you stop there. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Professor Akbazadeh. And uh, the point that you have highlighted about the leadership of the Muslim world, it is very interesting to note that uh, Islam originated in the Arab Arab world, you know, Saudi Arabia, and uh, uh, the two uh, two powers which have been the clement of the Islamic world is uh, are the non-Arab powers, Iran and and Turkey. If someone asks me what is the importance, the significance of understanding Turkey's po Turkish politics and its international relations, I think that is one of the very important issue uh, leadership of the Islamic world because how the dynamics will be into play amongst these uh, uh, different powers uh, that will actually shape much of the Islamic world. So uh, uh, with these uh, further insights, now we go to our third panelist, uh, Dr. Omer Anas. Uh, doc Dr. Omer, uh, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Asif uh, and Middle East Institute at uh, National Singaporean University of Singapore uh, for this uh, wonderful opportunity to share my thoughts on Turkish foreign policy and Turkish ambitions in the Middle East. Uh, uh, if I have to uh, organize my thoughts on Turkish foreign policy and especially Turkish ambitions in the Middle East, I would define them into three uh, sections. First, uh, uh, the fundamentals of Turkish foreign policy. And I asked this question whether the fundamentals of Turkish foreign policy are changing or have changed or not changed. And I see a lot of overstatement on the changes which are taking place in Turkish foreign policy. For example, 
the key threat perceptions, the fundamental sense of insecurity and security, whether they have changed or not. If you see that they have not changed at all, they are mostly intact, unchanged, and they are still defining the Turkish foreign policy and especially its strategic uh, uh, perspective in the same fashion. So uh, I will talk about these fundamentals. Then the capabilities which Turkish foreign policy and Turkey as a state has to achieve and to uh, do something uh, which uh, Dr. Omar Aslan has uh, talked about the ambitions. So I will come to that part as well. And then uh, the limitations which Turkish state has uh, in achieving these ambitions, uh, of course, there are certain limitations which must be recognized. Uh, in this sense, uh, let us come to the fundamentals. I, for example, if you see the Middle Eastern, there is a lot of overstatement on Turkish foreign policy. Before 2002, before the arrival of Erdogan, there was limited talk uh, about Turkey. But after that, in, especially in the last 10 years, if you see uh, Western newspapers, Middle Eastern newspapers, Asian newspapers are full and televisions are full with debates on Turkish foreign policy and Turkey. But if you see these debates are carrying certain questions, for example, does Islamism, uh, if Islamism is really shaping or changing Turkish foreign policy. So Islamism appears, pan-Islamism appears as a key uh, uh, reference in the changing or so-called changing uh, the so-called ambitions of Turkish foreign policy. And then you see a similar word, uh, new Ottomanist shift in Turkish foreign policy. And then you also see uh, similar uh, uh, expansionist uh, or other ambitions for Turkish foreign policy. In all these uh, ambitions, uh, we, you, you don't see enough substance and uh, uh, not substance because Turkey does not have uh, the capability of exercising such policies. Turkey does not have uh, Turkey have, uh, has uh, serious limitations in exercising such policies. Uh, for example, if you see only about uh, uh, new Ottomanism or pan-Islamism, until 2002, Turkey should be seen as an isolated country which was less connected with the Islamic world or Islamic masses. And uh, the percentage of Turkish people who were knowing Arabic language or any other foreign Islamic language were... <laughs> pathetically very low. Uh, today, Turkish people are learning Arabic language and still the percentage of Arabic knowing people may not be more than half percent of entire population, I suppose. And uh, in this sense, Turkey's ability to connect with the Middle East uh, was very limited. And what is coming now is just newly achieved capabilities is still uh, very much limited. At the same time, Turkish nationalism was so uh, self-isolating and uh, introvert that it did not allow Turkey to expand its horizon beyond certain Turkish uh, uh, communities. And it did not look to the uh, Middle Eastern countries and other countries, uh, uh, especially to, to be, become part of a larger pol politics. So in order to connect with the, with the Middle East, Turkey needed uh, some ease and to soften Turkish nationalism, which 
AK party and Erdogan's party had uh, has successfully done in the last few uh, in the last one decade. And uh, Erdogan's party has offered a package of uh, perspective which in which it can easily accommodate uh, various uh, aspects of Turkish uh, policy, especially the nationalist, the secularist, the liberals, and Islamist and conservative. All of them can be seen uh, representing uh, represented there. So, uh, in uh, uh, in that sense, uh, if you ask this question whether Turkey is uh, changing these fundamentals, or whether Turkey can change these fundamentals, I don't see that Turkey can change these fundamentals. The sense of insecurity and security, for example, uh, to look Europe and America and other countries with suspicion, it is still there. Once upon, for example, the Kemalist foreign policy was based on the on the fundamental that that the uh, the Treaty of Severus uh, was uh, taking the entire Turkey and it was uh, trying to isolate Turkey in a small a village like Anatolia uh, to make a Turkish state there, and which Mustafa Kemal uh, forcefully, powerfully snatched from uh, their hands and established a Turkey, which uh, which today is uh, on the map. So in that sense, Turkey has this feeling that someday these Western countries can claim, can question, and can uh, uh, think otherwise on the territorial unity of Turkey. So that sense of insecurity remains as a major uh, determinant in Turkish uh, mindset. And that is why to remain stable and stronger from inside remains as one of the most important objective of Turkish foreign policy because they see that they in future can face uh, some challenges. So in this sense, uh, you, you, you don't see much departure in Turkish foreign policy. Uh, at the same time, if you see limitations, uh, Turkey in the past uh, decades uh, has uh, been, for, for example, economically, Turkey has been isolated from, uh, from the world. And uh, then technologically also, it has been dependent on, on uh, Western countries. Its market was uh, export markets market was limited, and uh, its own economic uh, and especially the middle class was not emerging. The uh, local economy was not vibrant, so these limitations was, was were there, and these were the limitations which were uh, hindering Turkey's uh, access to Middle Eastern markets and other markets and to connect with the Middle East. So there was no question of becoming ambitious. So in Erdogan and Erdogan's era. Uh, a vibrant middle class, especially what, what we call here Anatolian tigers, have emerged, who have uh, led uh, a new, uh, who, have, who have formed a new uh, uh, bourgeoisie class uh, in, in, in Anatolia, who have been successfully connecting with the Middle Eastern uh, societies. And these are the people who are uh, uh, also conservative and uh, they, they, they are uh, connecting with the Middle East. So they are trying to understand the Middle Eastern societies and becoming uh, more and more exposed to, uh, to these societies. If you see, for example, if you see the Turkish diplomats in the Middle Eastern countries, how much they are uh, connected with so social activities also. And they are really trying uh, hard to understand these, these uh, Middle Eastern societies, which was uh, once upon a time, I, I should say, a limitation. And then there are certain strategic limitations which Turkish state has and Turkish foreign policy faces in the region. For example, the dominance or the supremacy of Egypt and Saudi Arabia in the region. Turkey has been unsuccessful uh, by and large 
to break the supremacy or the, the centrality of uh, Egypt and Saudi Arabia in the region. Turkey has been trying to become a third party uh, at par with Saudi Arabia and Egypt, but uh, uh, rather United Arab Emirates uh, has taken that third place, not Saudi Arabia, uh, not Turkey. So in that sense, uh, uh, this is one of the strategic uh, uh, limitations which Turkey has been facing uh, in becoming uh, more ambitious in, in the Middle East. And then uh, uh, if you see uh, on uh, capabilities which Turkey has been trying to uh, enhance, especially, uh, for example, I have uh, mentioned that economic uh, capabilities have, have, have uh, increased and then uh, Erdogan has focused on defense uh, technology investments in defense and so it has uh, made limited achievements and uh, so much that it can export and it it, it uh, Erdogan has taken decided some 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 decisions which uh, can connect uh, or which can uh, bring uh, Middle Eastern and Turkish uh, security concerns uh, at one platform and as a result Turkey has been successful in expanding military to military relations uh, uh, with the Middle East which is one of the achievements of uh, uh, Erdogan's of uh, Middle Eastern foreign policy, but it's still short of what we call as ambition or a big achievement or a major breakthrough. It is not making that uh, big uh, uh, breakthrough. On uh, one more achievement, which I should say, as I said, uh, the people-to-people -people relations have also increased. Uh, there are more and more Turkish people who are aware of uh, Middle Eastern issues, and of course, the Turkish drama, television, and all the entire software, soft power industry is also contributing in bringing Turkey and Middle Eastern countries uh, together and closer. So in this sense, uh, uh, you see that uh, there is a trend in Turkey that uh, uh, they are ready for uh, greater accession, access and greater integration with the Middle Eastern countries, which was not possible uh, some 15 years ago. But due to many changes, uh, they are ready to, to, to become a part of the Middle Eastern societies. So now uh, Turkey is facing another challenge. Many, many people are saying that uh, there is a Middle Easternization of Turkey, uh, which is taking rapidly, uh, or Turkey is shifting from uh, Europe or from the West or from other axis which it, uh, of which it was uh, once part. So what I would like to conclude with is that uh, what Turkey has achieved in the last few years, there is a element of overstatement of Turkish achievements and Turkish uh, uh, accomplishments in the region. Uh, they, uh, of course, Turkey has made some breakthrough, but uh, these breakthroughs are not sufficient to make Turkey, uh, as I said, at par with Saudi Arabia and Egypt. And as a result, Turkey may not play that much decisive role as much as Egypt and Saudi Arabia can play in the region. And uh, realizing these, uh, these, these uh, uh, limitations, uh, and uh, of course, Turkey was overjoyed by uh, the Arab uprisings and saw an opportunity that it can uh, do something uh, to find a good place uh, in the region. But uh, after realizing that Turkey may not uh, achieve that status very soon, so Turkey has uh, now started another process of rapprochement with these uh, uh, key players in the Middle East. So again, Turkey is back to 2008, uh, 2009 or 2010 foreign policy, 
with the Middle East based on the recognition of uh, key players of the region and achieving uh, uh, some of its economic uh, and defense related objectives in the region. And uh, uh, in that sense, uh, the Turkish ambitions in the Middle East uh, again now uh, limited to more economic and uh, partially uh, defense export related uh, ambitions uh, and not uh, really uh, in the sense which we listen as Islamist, pan-Islamist or Ottomanist expansion of the uh, Turkish foreign policy, which is, uh, I do not see uh, it is uh, heading any anywhere. So here I will stop and uh, I would love to see and uh, listen uh, comments and questions uh, uh, in Q&A session. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you so much, Omer. And exactly that is the purpose of organizing this uh, uh, webinar or events like these uh, to understand what actually lies underneath uh, the, the, the mention that you have made of those overstatements. Uh, we actually have to see uh, what is that two third part uh, you know, which is underneath, not just to look at the first part of the iceberg. And uh, from your uh, uh, presentation, one more question uh, emerges. When we talk about uh, Turkey's ambition, uh, are we really talking about Turkey's ambition or uh, President Erdogan's ambition? So maybe that is also something that we might uh, discuss a bit later. Uh, but before that, uh, we hand over the floor to our fourth speaker, uh, Mr. Gohan Ereli. Uh, please, the floor is yours. Thank you, Dr. Asif. Uh, it is a great pleasure uh, and opportunity to be with you today uh, and discuss uh, Turkey's Middle East policies with you. Uh, thank you, National University of uh, Singapore Middle East Institute. Uh, normally, I uh, swiftly prepared a two-part presentation, but I think it is better to only focus on uh, Turkey's foreign policy rather than how it is shaped in the last years in detail. Uh, our our uh, esteemed speakers also pointed out these issues. So uh, I think uh, there is no point in uh, discussing these uh, historical uh, perspectives again. So I would like to talk a little bit uh, about Turkey's expanding footprint uh, in the region and Turkey's influence in terms of its uh, interlocutors. Uh, first of all, uh, I would love to state that in these periods, in in the last two years, in the last three years, Turkey increased its uh, scope of its, uh, Turkey actually increased its uh, scope of influence geographically, first of all. Uh, for example, uh, close relations with the Gulf countries, again, ongoing operations and activities in Iraq uh, and Syria, uh, development of relations with Libya, Algeria, Tunisia in North Africa, uh, also, in addition, uh, Turkey's effectiveness uh, in the region uh, and in these processes, uh, also in the Caucasus, uh, in the relationship with European Union due to immigrants and, and, and any other stuff uh, that you know, uh, and other uh, regional political instability issues uh, and the relationship uh, with African countries as a whole uh, show the dimensions of Turkey's foreign policy, first of all. Uh, and also, uh, along with uh, Turkey's expansion of its influence geographically, I think Turkey expanded its influence uh, diplomatically in a diplomatic way. Uh, in addition uh, to these policies, uh, I think Turkish diplomacy has had effective results uh, in the relations developed with uh, many different countries in the recent period. Uh, say that Armenia, say that uh, US, uh, say that Greece, uh, say that Gulf countries, 
Turkey, I think, which went into a model partnership uh, climate uh, in relations with Qatar, ensured its political normalization uh, with uh, Saudi Arabia again, uh, United Arab Emirates again, and also, uh, as you know, uh, there is these normalization processes with Turkey on the one hand, uh, and Egypt and Israel uh, on the other hand. Uh, in this period, I think, uh, along with the relations uh, Turkey has developed with Gulf countries, uh, Turkey has also increased its contacts with the near neighborhood countries. In this context, uh, as I have said earlier, uh, contacts with Egypt uh, were conducted uh, at the level of deputy foreign ministers, I guess, and also uh, while uh, the contacts uh, with Israel uh, were conducted at the level of heads of states and foreign ministers. Uh, you know, Isaac Herzog, the president of Israel, uh, visited Turkey. Uh, and also, uh, I think in these points, in, these, uh, new, in this new era, uh, I guess we should look at uh, Turkey's regional role and in international turmoils. Uh, in terms of these global events, the restoration of Turkey's bilateral relations I think have also strengthened Turkey's uh, geopolitical importance and diplomatic uh, prominence uh, as a center of facilitation mediation. Uh, also, Turkey has some setbacks. Uh, we can uh, talk about these Q&A sessions, but I think uh, the most important points uh, we should look at uh, are these. Uh, say that uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, you know, it has been the most significant development uh, that has lately strengthened Turkey's relevance as a NATO member, uh, both in the eyes of the Eastern countries, both in the eyes of the Western countries. Again, uh, as you know, while Turkey has been uh, opposed to Russian invasion of Ukraine since the occupation, uh, since the invasion began, it has also been opposed, it has also opposed the uh, full exclusion of uh, Russia uh, in the European security architecture. Uh, in that period, Turkey uh, conducted separate diplomatic uh, actions and outmaneuvers with uh, leaders of uh, and officials of both Russia and Ukraine. Uh, and I think Turkey, by bringing Russian and Ukrainian representatives to Turkey, uh, became the regional and international focal point uh, for resolving the political uh, and diplomatic uh, crisis. And I think uh, these uh, policies uh, and these regional landscape uh, that made Turkey as an important uh, facilitation uh, center again, uh, helped Turkey to become a, again a regional power in the Middle East. Uh, of course, uh, I can say that uh, due to its um, bilateral uh, connections, uh, national security and foreign policy in a war environment, uh, because I think we can say that Turkey for, Turkish foreign policy is conducted in a war environment because uh, in the North, uh, Russia and Ukraine, and are fighting in the south, in Syria, Iraq. There is this uh, processes, and also is uh, not only in the east. Uh, there is always war uh, in Turkish uh, foreign policy environment. I think uh, at this period, Turkey has not leaned toward one side, not just uh, west only, not just east only. You can also detect this uh, on the Russian and Ukraine issue. Uh, also. Uh, another issue is like, uh, you know, uh, even though uh, the countries like Sweden and Finland apply to join to uh, NATO uh, after becoming more aware of the Russian military danger uh, as a result of the invasion, uh, Turkey's position uh, at this point demonstrates that uh, the benefits uh, that the Russia and Ukraine conflict may offer to Turkish interests. Uh, Turkish 
uh, foreign policy makers, I think, reaped uh, these uh, benefits uh, from the Russian and Ukraine conflicts. Also, uh, Turkey uh, as, second, as the second largest army in NATO, uh, which is the world's most significant military alliance, you know, uh, and one of the nations physically closest to the Soviet Union at the time, uh, opposed to Sweden and uh, Finland's bid to join NATO to uh, understand that security is indivisible uh, in our region uh, and in our times. Uh, with this stance, I guess, Turkey does not take a position that uh, completely excludes Russia from the European security architecture. It not only does not jeopardize, jeopardize uh, future cooperation between Turkey and Russia, because uh, Russians also know that Turkish persons, Turkish policymakers also know that uh, there will also be a post-war period uh, in our environment. Turkey also allows uh, Sweden and Finland, uh, I guess, uh, to assist Turkey uh, in its fight against the PKK, YPG, and PYD, uh, which has long been the Turkey's most security, most serious security issues. Uh, also, I think uh, the issue needs to be evaluated uh, in the in keeping in the mind that uh, the future evolution of this process, uh, I guess, will reveal NATO's new security paradigm as well as Russia's new role in the world. Uh, in all of this framework, uh, I think uh, there is no need to. Uh, expand uh, on these issues. Uh, it is seen that uh, Turkey is one of the most important actors uh, in the changing and transforming Middle East and European security architecture. Uh, the developments in the Middle East, in North Africa, in Caucasus, Central Asia, and Europe affect Turkey. Uh, and I think it is important to argue that the evolution of Turkish foreign policy and diplomacy also affects these regions. Uh, also, Turkey in, at this point, I guess, uh, emphasizes that uh, peace and stability should be valid uh, for everyone and emphasizes that the integrity uh, and the indivisibility of security. Uh, we, know, uh, we see this issue, uh, the indivisibility of security, the integrity of security in the Sweden, Finland's uh, bid to uh, join NATO. Uh, also, it makes uh, for, for Turkey makes uh, foreign policy moves accordingly uh, in, these, um, in this environment. In this context, uh, Turkey's relations with Russia are as important as its relations with the United States, I can say. And also, uh, the more important uh, the relations with the European countries, the more important the relations with the Middle East countries for Turkey. Uh, so uh, I think there is no need for us to draw a line, draw a dichotomy that Turkey belongs to East, Turkey belongs to West uh, dichotomy. At the same time, I think it can be seen that Turkey is uh, on the way to become the center of diplomacy, facilitation, uh, and mediation. Uh, of course, this does not mean that uh, there can be no power, and uh, there can be no uh, country and uh, foreign policy making stuff uh, that could be the center uh, of the mediation. But I think that Turkey is on the way, on the way to become a, a, maybe a regional uh, center uh, for facilitation and mediation and other because uh, as you know uh, I think Turkey does not uh, exclude uh, this uh, perspective because uh, as Umair Hocam uh, has argued uh, there is also Saudi Arabia, there is also Egypt and there is also United Arab Emirates uh, we have uh, Turkey has uh, moderated uh, its relations with these countries uh, uh, I need to 
argue and I need to reassess that uh, my argument, my disargument uh, does not exclude uh, there can be any other uh, mediation facilitation uh, center. Also, uh, I think uh, Turkey's diplomatic, uh, with its uh, diplomatic mission spreading uh, increasingly over uh, large areas, uh, especially uh, it is uh, neighboring uh, areas, Turkey uh, and also its uh, discourse advocating sovereignty, uh, sovereign equality, I can say in foreign policy and security for all, uh, will become the one of the, I can say, one of the major uh, powerhouses of mediation and facilitation. Uh, and I think we can associate, uh, with, if we need to associate uh, one uh, uh, takeaway from these, uh, from my speech, is that uh, Turkey's regional ambition is, I can say, uh, is to weigh. Turkey is to, uh, I think, is to make contributions, is to make efforts uh, towards becoming a regional uh, mediation hub, a facilitation hub, I can say. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you so much, Rokan. It was very illuminating. And uh, uh, with this, uh, we come uh, to the end of our uh, presentations, four presentations, and uh, we have some questions coming up from the floor. And I would uh, request our audiences to keep sending us uh, the questions through the chat box, uh, sending questions to the MBI event, which would be routed, routed to me. Uh, many, many questions because uh, Turkey remains an enigma. Not, uh, uh, it's not easy to really understand because one can say that Turkey itself doesn't understand what exactly is the line that it is taking, you know, that may be debatable, but in many senses it appears it's sometimes this, sometimes that. So for an observer, it is very natural uh, to have those confusions. But I think uh, with the question answer session, we would like to clarify some of those uh, confusions. Uh, there's one question from my senior MEI colleague, uh, Dr. Alessandro Arduino, uh, for all the panelists. And uh, I'll just read out this question. Question to all the presenters, your comments on Turkey's military material transfer as a military diplomacy tool in the MENA region. I think. Uh, this is something quite pertinent to the current, uh, you know, Russia-Ukraine standoff uh, in which Turkey has been playing a very powerful role. Uh, so if we could uh, go with the same order with which uh, we have followed the speakers and uh, try to answer this, this, this question. Uh, uh, Dr. Omer, can we start with you? Uh, Dr. Shuja, would you mind repeating the question? Uh, sure, I'll just repeat the question one more time. Uh, your comments on Turkey's military material transfer as a military diplomacy tool in the MENA region. So that is the question from Dr. Alexander. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's very relevant because I mean, when again, if we review Turkey's engagement overall, I think with the region from the moment that uh, you know the AKP came to power. Um, the kinds of instruments that it used or it has used, I think, has um, shifted. So, I mean, arguments about Turkey's possible mediation role, perhaps in the region, especially between Saudi Arabia and Iran, has been, if you, uh, you know, if our um, audience has been able to uh, watch in Turkish politics closely, that question, whether Turkey can mediate, for instance, between Saudi Arabia and Iran, has been recently posed to President Erdogan. 
He was asked if Turkey can again, like before in the past, be a mediator in the region, for instance, about against Saudi Arabia and Iran. He said, of course, why not? We are all, you know, Muslim brothers and we are all friends in the region and so on. But I think that's, again, a bit far from the truth right at the moment. I think Turkey is not, is, I mean, is, no, is not at the moment at least, is positioned to become a mediator in that case. So what is, I think, more available to Turkey and what is being emphasized, I think, more recently is, now, where does Turkey's strength lie? I think it, it lies in terms of this military technology and the transfer of that. So Turkey can use that as an asset. I think that very much came to the front when uh, President Erdogan has been visiting United Arab Emirates and especially in his uh, most recent visit to Saudi Arabia. He, I think, most forcefully emphasized this point in which he said, you know, they have the money, we have the technology. So maybe we can do something out of this. So maybe uh, we can both, so we can maybe sell this and we can use this as a Turkish uh, asset to leverage our relations with the, uh, with especially of course, Gulf nations. Of course, keeping in mind also that Turkey has a military base in Qatar and has uh, soldiers in Qatar. So this is, I think the way, not only with the Gulf uh, either. I mean, again, with relations with North Africa, with Algeria and Tunisia, Turkey, in terms of its diplomatic language and tool, I think is using this possible transfer of military technology, military weaponry in the first place. But I think, again, there will be a limitations. I don't want to prolong this point very, I mean, longer, but uh, uh, this, if you, again, if the audience remembers this, I mean, Turkey, Turkey's experience with arms sales is new. And uh, there are a lot of complications that may arise out of military weapons and technology of, uh, you know, the transfer of military technology. It just, if you remember again, this came about uh, recently, the Russian complaints about Turkish drones being sent to Ukraine and Turkey all of a sudden defended itself saying, hey, once we sell them, we are not responsible. But you know, that's not how it really goes all the time. So, I mean, it, it's good in terms of talk, but then what if these weapons are used in, in uh, a possible intra, you know, Middle East uh, conflict? And then where does Turkey stand in this? Or which, which side Turkey chooses? Because I think it's one thing, as President Erdogan recently also said, uh, it's one thing to say that, you know, we are both friends with Iran and Saudi Arabia, Arabia despite their mutual suspicions and uh, so on. But once you sell arms and transfer into technology, then it becomes something else. So I think there is that limitation. But I think from now on for the foreseeable future, uh, for the economic reasons as well, that will be one of the talking points of Turkish diplomacy in the region in terms of this military uh, technology and arms sales. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Dr. Shuja. Yes, please, Professor. Uh, yes, I just wanted to perhaps ask a question. Do you want all of us to respond to the same question? That would really limit the number of questions we can address. Um, perhaps uh, we can move to the next question. Uh, Professor, uh, yes, we shall be directing questions to each and every speaker, but this question has been directed to all the speakers. So I think... I would be very glad if you could also add on to this. I know you have a lot to I add. am happy with the response that uh, my colleague, Dr. Umar, has offered. I think he's covered it all. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Umar, would you like to add up? I think that uh, I have uh, 
have some different uh, perspective on this. Uh, Turkish uh, defense export have uh, made uh, big news in these uh, years. But uh, one thing is uh, still very clear that Turkey cannot be a replacement of any of the European defense exporter, France, Germany, Italy, Britain, and of course the United States. And then uh, the new non-Western players like China, India, China and Russia especially are also one of the most important sources, defense uh, uh, exporters uh, for the region. So the Turkish ambitions for defense exports uh, are still uh, at a very realistic uh, mode. So they, they have very uh, small fraction of the market still. And uh, the possibility of expansion in this market in a dramatic way uh, does not look like, like uh, in near future. Unless Turkey has uh, some breakthrough in some, especially in aviation, uh, fighter jet, etc., which can change the market dramatically. Of course, Turkey is working on that. So Turkey is still uh, working on that. And in this sense, what I see is that uh, rather, uh, more than exporting to the region, Turkey may be seeking uh, huge investments uh, from these countries in its defense sector. And there are many news that uh, many Turkey, uh, Gulf countries are really interested and keen in uh, investing with the Turkish defense companies and the defense sector is expanding inside Turkey. And in 10 years, uh, maybe Turkey may be a good, a good player. But as for the next four or five years or 10 years, uh, I don't see that Turkey should be considered as uh, beyond uh, like Turkish drone, uh, which is making a big change. Uh, Turkey does not have uh, many other things to offer, which can be very exceptional and uh, which can be considered as replacement of uh, other big markets. So that, that is where Turkish uh, foreign policy uh, should be. And I think they are still uh, very realistic in this sense. And uh, they expect uh, uh, what they have, uh, not what they do not have at this time in their, uh, in their, in their pocket. So that is my point of view. Okay, thank you, Ahmed. Aguhan, would you like to add something to that? Uh, yes, uh, Dr. Asif, I can say that uh, Turkey military transfer, uh, military material transfer uh, is a military diplomacy, okay. Uh, and I think uh, also uh, it is uh, just like uh, Dr. Mayer said, uh, it is improving uh, and will be better uh, in the future. Uh, not uh, Turkey couldn't uh, and cannot uh, replace, of course, US, Russia and China at this point, but I think uh, defense cooperation, uh, defense industry cooperation as a whole in the region also contributes uh, to the regional cooperation because as you know, uh, most of the countries, all countries nearly, uh, try to expand uh, their uh, facilities and their defense structures. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, we uh, know uh, there is Saudi Arabia military industries, which is the national uh, defense industry cooperation. Uh, and also in United Arab Emirates as well, I think, uh, Turkey is also uh, using uh, and benefiting uh, from military diplomacy, uh, and it should be also. Thank you. Uh, 
thank you so much. Uh, I have another question. Uh, I would request any of the panelists who would like to answer to this question uh, from my another colleague, uh, Georgi. Would Turkey be willing to act as NATO's extended arm in the Middle East? So uh, a simple question, but I think long answer would be. So any of the panelists would uh, tell us about uh, whether Turkey will, would be willing to act as NATO's extended arm in the Middle East? Okay, well, since I didn't respond to the other question, maybe I have a go at this one, if you don't mind. <laughs> please, please go ahead. Um, um, well, that's a very good question. And I think Turkey is constantly walking a fine line between a NATO being a NATO member, um, but also being part of the Middle East and the, you know, representing, in a way, the Muslim bloc. Uh, so to speak, on the international stage. So it's a difficult task for Turkey. Um, I don't think Turkey would like to see itself as representing NATO in the Middle East, because that would very much tarnish and undermine its credentials as uh, a regional leader that stands on its own merit, stands on the merit of its history, religion, political um, and you know, military might. So uh, my gut feeling is that no, it would not risk its international, it would not risk its regional standing in the Middle East by behaving as if it was representing NATO. So yeah, in short. Thank you so I much. Have, yeah, please. I have another first question. Does NATO, expect Turkey <laughs> to become its uh, player in the, or ex its extended uh, country in, in the Middle East. So even NATO does not have this kind of expectation and does not want to see Turkey in the, and what, what we should uh, be uh, uh, really uh, considering about the role of NATO in the, in the world politics is that, there is uh, no NATO at, at all. Yeah, formality they, they, they have, but what happened in Ukraine? Their indecision and their uh, lackluster approach uh, about NATO before that, uh, Crimea, and what happened in uh, Syria and other parts of the world. So individual countries, uh, they are trying to, to, to assume greater role than the NATO itself. So for example, France is trying to become more uh, ambitious and more active in the region than uh, NATO itself. So individual countries in NATO are trying to achieve, are competing with each other. So you can see a greater competition between uh, France, Britain, and Germany in the Middle East. And they agree on one point that <laughs> this competition should not be joined by Turkey <laughs> as an individual country. So if Turkey wants to do the same uh, defense trade, for example, or any other uh, competition for its, 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 its strategic interest, uh, they would see as violation uh, of NATO spirit and as a uh, shifting away or drift uh, from, from NATO. And if they do the same thing, it will not be considered as a drift from NATO. 
yes, a very interesting point. Uh, one example that I can see is uh, Afghanistan, where you know United States, NATO, uh, all of them were participants. Now the United States, because of its own internal compulsions and its own foreign policy shift, has said, "Okay, I'll be out of Afghanistan." Now the other, co you know, coalition partners, you know, especially NATO, if it wants to remain uh, engaged in in that region, then what would it do? Uh, you know, it it might go on the do the piggybacking. You know, that could be a scenario. I think when that could be visualized. But any case. Uh, is there any other panelists would like to, uh, you know, uh, join on this? Yeah. Maybe I may uh, just uh, very briefly, uh, and I, I think to that question I'll give the most social scientist response. I think it depends. <laughs> depends on I think what is being asked, because I think if you, I mean, some of the recent moves that uh, I think the government in Turkey has been doing is. Um, is uh, in order to get, uh, you know, collect more strategic rents from the West in general, right? I mean, so what Turkey has been, Turkey stands on the um, you know, Russian invasion of Ukraine, what Turkey tried to do in Afghanistan in terms of resuming the operation of the airport and then providing the security. Uh, Turkey's, I think, stands on uh, Nagorno-Karabakh issue, Turkey's involvement. I think the Israeli rapprochement and then the energy transport to the, the corridor, now Turkey now is trying to get these energy to Europe. Um, and then um, I think many more examples can be found. Turkey wants to, again, show its strategic value to the West. So it depends on what is being asked. If the NATO says, for instance, hey, we need to, let's say, replicate what we did in the early 1990s, then we need to train some soldiers from some of the militaries in the Middle East and North Africa, as in like partnership for peace that uh, Turkey happily took part in the early 1990s. That for instance, could be a harmless, a good way of Turkey, again, playing a role within the NATO for the NATO Western purposes. But anything that really puts Turkey into a conflict spot in I think opposition, direct opposition with let's say China, that could be a sort of a limit, but depends on what is being asked. I think Turkey at this point onwards for the certain, especially the economic reasons and for the reasons that Turkey wants to prove its value to the West again in certain ways, uh, Turkey may actually do and go with uh, such a NATO mission. But again, it depends on what is being asked. But I don't think they will say uh, no, never uh, at all. Okay, thank you so much, Omer. Uh, I have another, uh, you know, comment and question from my colleague, Dr. Alessandro. He says, thank you. Uh, this is to uh, Dr. Omer Aslan. Thank you for the very informative presentation. You mentioned Turkey's ambitions in the Horn of Africa. Earlier you had in your presentation mentioned. Can you provide more details, especially in Somalia, uh, Dr. Omer? Uh, well, I think... Uh... So I, I mentioned this again as a possible, I think, limit. So still, I mean, for the last two years, I think what is being, uh, what is going on, especially in terms of Turkey's diplomatic shift vis-a-vis -vis the Middle East, I think we are on this transition period. Uh, we have certain, I think, inputs that we can rely on in estimating what is going to happen. In terms of the, um, what I mean by these inputs and certain dynamics is first of all, economy. 
So for the for the I think next few years we can see that Turkish economy will be weak and Turkey will have that kind of impulse or an incentive that you know, Turkey has to be careful about what it does in terms of economy, get more investments and try to get more political investments from, from the Gulf. But we don't know how all of this will translate into Libya, how it will translate into Syria, how it will again also uh, translate into Somalia too. I mean, Turkey has a competition, I think, has had a competition in Somalia, I think with the United Arab Emirates, but also to some extent perhaps with Saudi Arabia. So from which of these Turkey, well, will uh, put its foot down and say, I'm not going to back down from this and we'll have to manage this together. And from which of these Turkey will say, well, I'm softer on this issue, I can maybe take a step back. So in terms of, I mean, so Somalia, that's, uh, we will see how this competition turns, I mean, to, to what this competition turns into. Can there be a way that they can reconcile? Um, or will it continue uh, to be a competition of some sorts? So again, I don't have specifically what may happen, but uh, that will be, I think, one of the limits in which I think Turkey will decide. So my departure, departing point for, I mean, whilst I, I mean, in saying this is that um, I think neither side, neither you know, United Arab Emirates or the you know, Saudi Arabia nor Turkey immediately will give it will give each other what they want. So they so there will be a more period of testing each other and seeing what I can get and uh, to what extent I can go. I think so. That's how I can I, I see things now. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Amir. And I have uh, one question that I have reserved for Dr. Omar Anas, uh, because uh, in the past we have talked about it a lot. Uh, uh, see, uh, when uh, in the Middle East we, we, we look around, Syria is a uh, you know, flashpoint, and uh, Turkey has a very important role to play into Syria, uh, uh, specifically because of its own domestic compulsions. And that brings us into the domain of Russia's sphere of influence, okay, and to the current scenario where Russia and Ukraine has, uh, you know, a conflict and where the West is looking at Turkey uh, as a mediatory role. So uh, my specific question to you, uh, Omar, was uh, what exactly is the nature of uh, Turkey's operation being planned in Syria in the current dynamics, if you could answer that question. Um, so, uh, before replying uh, this specific uh, answer question, I would like to add one uh, more aspect. Aspect of uh, last year, uh, Britain had released its uh, global Britain foreign policy vision, and then <clears throat> Chatham House had published an interesting analysis of that vision. In that vision, uh, Chatham House had uh, very clearly uh, said that. The strategic value of Turkey after the Cold War has gone. Uh, Turkey is no longer important for NATO, for the West. Uh, very specifically, they have clearly used this, this uh, understanding. And I think that in Turkey, everyone is aware in Ankara, the military leadership, the foreign uh, policy leadership, they are aware that their exact value for the West is no longer the same as it was before the Cold War. 
one thing. Second, the uh, uh, Ankara is also aware of uh, the bad condition of the West. West is no longer the West. West is, a, uh, is in disorder. Intellectually, it is in disorder. Philosophically, it is in, in disorder. Militarily, yes, still they are dominating, but uh, they, no, they, are, they are no longer uh, inspiring the non-Western world. The kind of Islamophobia which is coming there, the kind of illiberal liberalism is coming there, the, the uh, anti-immigrant uh, policies which is coming there. So the West is no longer the same West which many Westernized Turks would always uh, wanted to be part of. Uh, so that is where the West is no longer an inspiring uh, uh, block with which uh, many Turks would like to be associated with for uh, many reasons. So there are there are this sense of uh, uh, of course West West is also abandoning uh, Turkey. We 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 see a lot of story where the Turkey is trying to leave NATO, but there is a lot of uh, thing which uh, uh, many Turks they say that the West is also leaving Turkey behind. They don't want Turkey there. So this is uh, a sense of insecurity which is there. And here comes Turkey's role in Syria. So when 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 they see that a small statelet is being uh, planned uh, in Turkey's southern border, and uh, this is not just a rhetoric, but practically the biggest amount of uh, heavy arms which have ever been given to a non-state actor anywhere perhaps in the world, maybe in recent history, it is only to the YPG, the, uh, uh, the, the, the offshoot of PKK, internationally banned uh, a terror group. So with this kind of support from the West to a non-state organization, non-state militant group, and American military leadership is uh, in uh, direct communication with them. So uh, there is a sense of uh, panic among Turks that uh, if the West has thought to allow a small statelet on Turkey's southern border, then what should be the Turkey's response? So as a result, the Turkish, Turkish view is that uh, they should not uh, allow this uh, to happen ever. And that is why they would rather take a preemptive action to stop that reality. And on this aspect, uh, uh, my understanding is that Erdogan's view is uh, not that much important as much as Turkish military's view is important. Even if I, I, I think that even if Turkey, Erdogan has a second opinion about this kind of operation, but uh, on Syrian issue, especially the southern border security issues, it is Turkish military which would have always an upper hand uh, in terms of deciding uh, an operation or taking any action there and to stop that threat from becoming a reality. Uh, that is why I think that. Uh, Keeping in this mind, uh, this thing in mind, uh, the role of uh, Erdogan here is to engage with Western leaders to uh, to 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 dissuade them from 
supporting such a project. And last two operations uh, by 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 launching uh, last two operations, Turkey has weakened that uh, straight lead from becoming a reality. And if Turkey is going to launch another operation uh, in coming weeks, then the rest of part, uh, uh, which is still uh, a long stretch, uh, if Turkey is successful in creating another 30 kilometer uh, deep uh, 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 corridor uh, on the border, I think that the, the Turkey Turkish military would uh, uh, will effectively stop uh, the, the, the project of a straight lit uh, which they want to create. This is the narrative which is dominating Turkish military and Turkish strategic uh, uh, discussions here. And uh, I think that the West must take this seriously and uh, they should uh, address these concerns before Turkish military is going to launch uh, an operation. And the best way is that uh, to make Turkey primary partner in Syria rather than a non-state organization like YPG. Thank you so much, uh, Omar. That was quite a discourse and I was expecting that uh, with the depth of knowledge that you have. Okay, uh, the next question uh, we have from our colleague at MEI, uh, Dr. Clemens Che. Uh, I'll just read his question. Uh, uh, he says, and this is for any of our panelists, whoever would like to answer this question. Among Turkey's recent rapprochement with regional competitors, namely Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Israel, which one of them do the panelists think will be most sustainable and important? The second part is, is this period of data mainly because of the realization that parties need to detach economic considerations uh, from geopolitical frictions? Uh, it's a bit long, but uh, I have one reflection on this question, and maybe uh, Professor Akbar Zadeh would like to comment on that. Iran doesn't figure in this set of countries, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Israel. So specifically to uh, Professor Akbar Zadeh, I would like to him request him to emphasize on Turkey-Iran uh, relation also. But let us uh, pick this question, and if any of the panelists would like to answer uh, Thank you, Dr. Rossef. If I may start, um, I, I think there's an assumption that um, those three countries are in competition and Turkey's relationship with uh, Saudi Arabia, UAE and Israel would have to be at the, you know, competing um, in a competing scenario. But the reality is that uh, UAE and Israel have signed the Abrahamic Accord. Saudi Arabia is already uh, making all sorts of noises in terms of recognizing Israel. So there is no major contradiction between uh, Turkey improving relations with uh, either of those three. Um, I, would, I would personally uh, expect that Turkey's relation, trade relations with Saudi Arabia would be number one priority for the leadership in Ankara because that's where the money is coming from. Uh, and that's where the, you know, the current government uh, and any future government in Turkey would need to secure financial support. Relationship with Iran is complicated. Um, Iran, um, you know, Turkey and Iran have tried to establish some kind of uh, normal relationship and they have been good, good, um, you know, good friends, but they're also in competition. They also have their differences. So that is going to be one of those um, um, 
you know, the, the phrase that people use is um, um, friends and enemies, uh, enemies. So, uh, you know, that's going to be a defining relationship between Iran and Turkey. Um, there are common grounds between the two, but they're also in competition. Um, and I think that's just going to continue. That's the nature of politics in Iran and in Turkey. That's not going to be overcome anytime soon. But relationship, I would expect relationship with Saudi Arabia and the other two, UAE and Israel, would obviously improve, uh, given that Turkey has already dropped its uh, uh, you know, um, push for uh, a court, a, a public hearing regarding Khashoggi, um, given that um, Turkey has been um, quite mild and you know, sending the right signals towards Saudi Arabia and UAE, the recent visit by Erdogan, uh, that's all pointing to improved relationships. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Professor. Especially uh, looking at the current state of uh, Turkish economy, I think uh, the economics will prevail or geopolitics. That is quite natural. Any other uh, panelists would like to have one last Dr. word on this? I can, please. Uh, I can jump in here. Uh, I can also say that the most sustainable one, uh, the most sustainable uh, normalization uh, climate uh, in terms of Turkey, uh, I can say it is uh, Turkey and United Arab Emirates because in only one year, uh, in only one year, we have come to even a point uh, where we can agree from a free trade agreement uh, with the United Arab Emirates. You know, uh, there was, uh, there have, you know, there have been these uh, tensions, uh, tensions period between United Arab Emirates and Turkey, uh, and uh, with the uh, gradual rapprochement at the level of foreign ministries, maybe uh, Chaushoğlu and Abdullah bin Zayed uh, told over each other, and Tahnun bin Zayed which is the national security advisor and uh, maybe we can say the second man in Abu Dhabi uh, come to Turkey uh, and also uh, Mohammed bin Zayed and uh, President Erdogan uh, visited uh, Turkey and uh, Abu Dhabi Dubai. Also, uh, I think these point, these show that uh, both Turkey and both United Arab Emirates uh, behaved pragmatically, uh, behaved uh, in a real politic way uh, and also uh, I think uh, the relation between Turkey, uh, the rapprochement, gradual rapprochement between Turkey and United Arab Emirates uh, could be a model for uh, other regional countries uh, to uh, behave, uh, to rapprochement, to have a rapprochement uh, in their dealings. Uh, because uh, also, uh, but with Saudi Arabia and Israel also, uh, the, in the relations between Turkey and Saudi Arabia, in the relations between Turkey and Israel, uh, with these countries, Turkey, I can say, uh, without, uh, uh, I can say, how can I say that Turkey's relations with these countries will also be sustainable, I guess. But, uh, you know, there is uh, many issues, uh, especially the Palestine issue, especially the other uh, security uh, and any other issues with Israel and also with the uh, other issues with Saudi Arabia. But I can say, uh, more tangible uh, steps, uh, smarter steps needed from both Turkey and those countries uh, to make it as, a sus as sustainable as Turkey-UAE partnership and uh, rapprochement, I can say. Uh, thank you so much, Gokhan. Uh, uh, and with this, uh, we come uh, to the end of this webinar. And uh, I would really, from the bottom of my heart, thank all the panelists uh, to participate in this webinar, to make us understand, you know, uh, 
have the clarity on so many confusing issues. And thank you so much. I would also like to uh, thank Middle East Institute, National University of Singapore for organizing this webinar on Turkey. And I would like to especially thank uh, my event team led by Ms. Sharon uh, for uh, working uh, to make it happen. And thank you so much. Uh, and we wish uh, we could see each other very soon. Thank you so much. You have thank a great day. Bye thank bye. you, Dr. Shuja. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for having us. Goodbye. Sure. Thank you. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Thank you.